puppet show stays on because of you We've been dancing with the devil way too long I know it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues Oh God, come back home This crazy world is fearless and abusers We need you now before we're too far gone I hope one day they finally see the truth God, we need you now Well, good evening, patriots and freedom fighters throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and around the world, the few that there are. How are we all doing? Do me a favor, share this out. Um, I, <laughs> I put up a post yesterday. I was bitching about being shadow banned on Facebook because it's terrible. Um, a couple of people took it personally for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, it wasn't meant to be taken or directed at anyone personally. Uh, so again, I'm not sure how people could take it personally. Uh, I was just complaining about being shadow banned so badly on Facebook. So do me a favor, share this out. Um, we are live on Facebook, my regular main, main account, uh, Canada first, um, Mark Friesen PPC. We're also on uh, Mark Friesen Saskatoon Grasswood. And we're on YouTube. Uh, I'm not banned there at the moment, so that's good news. I'm on Twitter. Hello, Twitter, folks. And I'm also, uh, of course, on DLive. DLive, how are you doing over there on DLive? Good to see you, folks. It's uh, It's been a bit. Um, yeah. It's all good. And I'm also on a new platform. Uh, well, I can't, I guess it's not new. It's new to me. I'm streaming to this new one. Uh, uh, Norbert and Odessa's platform, liberty.com. I'm live streaming to, uh, to my page over there. So if you're part of that network, you can, you can watch this live stream over there. Uh, Facebook is horrible. We're all being censored and shadow money. Yeah, of course we are. It's it's uh, Facebook Nazism. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's way worse. And I know a lot of people complain about Twitter, but I've only ever in in the history of my Twitter account, I've only ever been banned for seven hours, uh, and that was a few weeks ago. Um, and I'm not can't even remember what it was for. Probably putting up Ukrainian Nazi flags or something. Um, you know. Denouncing Nazism apparently is a bad thing when you add a Ukrainian flag to it. Um, you can't do that on Twitter, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I've only ever been banned on Twitter for seven hours in the history of my Twitter account. Compared to Facebook, which is like this revolving door that I'm continually being pushed through. Um, first, like should be good Marilyn cartoon i don't know what you mean first like should be good just got back again from a 3d band this time oh yeah yeah well you know it happens to all of us 
Um, so it's nice to be back. Uh, we were on this crazy tour that took us to nine cities in Saskatchewan, myself and Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. And then Sean Taylor joined us as we embarked on a uh, Northern Ontario tour that started in Winnipeg, um, somewhere between 350 and 400 people in Winnipeg. Uh, the rest of them were smaller, average somewhere around 100 to 150 um, um, on the, in the venues through Northern Ontario. Still worthwhile, still had a great experience. We're able to, you know, tell the tell the story of globalism and um, myself and Laura Lynn and Sean Taylor have a really nice flow to what we're doing. Um, I'm the information guy. Laura Lynn's the, um, the Christian part of this, which is important. And Sean Taylor's the common sense guy. So um, yeah, it was really good. We were really happy with it. On our way back, we stopped in at Art Lucier's event in Winnipeg. Uh, uh, the battle for Canada. Um, and that was good. We got to speak a little bit there. And then, uh, then we thought, well, we're going back through Brandon. We have an extra sort of day because we pushed so hard through Ontario. We went from Ottawa to Marathon the first day and then from Marathon to Winnipeg the second day uh, and made it to Art Lucier's thing in the evening. Um, so we had an extra day. We thought, hey, Let's go do Brandon. So we did Brandon, which was phenomenal. What a great experience that was. They filled the joint um, in a Chemnay, just outside of Brandon, Chemnay Hall, uh, completely filled, filled uh, standing room only. Uh, fantastic crowd, very receptive, and uh, it was great. So I was glad that we did that. And, uh, and then we got back to Saskatchewan. We ended up doing uh, Moose Jaw, and then we went back to Estevan, did those two, and then a couple of days later, we did Davidson. So I think all told, um, we did 17, 18, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, I think, altogether in about 28 days. So Nice to be back. Nice to be at home, um, reacquainted with my wife and and my life and my business, because uh, that all suffers, of course, when you're away for as long as we were. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, mission accomplished. I loved it. Um, you know, this thing that we have going, myself and Laura Lynn and Sean Taylor, uh, really, really works. And, uh, you know, we all bring a little something different to the table. So great responses. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's information is, is so important in this information war that we're in, in this war for civilization, um, Western civilization, yeah, information is, is king. So it's good. To, it was good to get out and do what we did. <clears throat> going to take a little break now, and then we're going to do, uh, Alberta and BC and maybe even get up to the Yukon um, in September. So, and that'll be myself, Laura Sean Taylor, and maybe even Salim Mansour. We'll see if we can if we can work that in uh, somehow as well. I'd love to have Salim join us. Speaking of Salim, he's going to be with us tonight in, in about 20 minutes. Uh, but there's a few things that we need to talk about uh, before we get into what me and Salim are going to talk about tonight. 
And uh, the suit was disappointing as far as I'm, I, you know what? I didn't find it disappointing at all. Um, you know, it is what it is. You know, you could look at things. If I look at things comparatively and, you know, what I saw, obviously in Saskatchewan, the full house everywhere we went, standing room only, um, really, you know, a lot of, lot of folks waking up in this province. Um, comparatively to Northern Ontario, yeah, not, not as much, not as many people, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It, it is what it is. Um, I think the level of apathy is greater in Northern Ontario simply because it's them against Toronto and there's, you know, 10 million people in Toronto. Toronto rules, rules the roost in that province. So it's hard to get people inspired to get active and, and, and to come together. Um, it, it really is. It's tough in a province like that. Saskatchewan is much easier because we're still, you know, this 50, 50 split rural to urban. Um, so uh, Davidson was great. Davidson was really good. There's a little bit of, little bit of controversy before it happened, but you know, you really, you can't pay much attention to the to the internet trolls uh, when you're putting on an event. You really got to ignore the few voices in internet land where they, uh, you know, whatever, do what they do. You really have to ignore them and just power on and power through. And, and it was fine. We didn't even get any protesters there, which I was sort of hoping we would because I always like to include them in the information as well. Um, so, yeah, but it all turned out good. Uh, decent turnout. So, um, yeah, all was good. Yeah, so, you know, all, all told, I won't, I won't set foot in Toronto live 30 minutes, live 30 minutes. Well, yeah, I don't blame you. However, we are also planning a Southern Ontario tour uh, in October. Uh, somebody referred to it as the Golden Horseshoe. So I guess, uh, you know, we'll do that as well. Uh, that that should be very interesting. Um, you know, if we can have a decent effect and good attendance in a tour through Southern Ontario, then uh, then obviously it'd be well worth it because it, it needs a lot of help. So uh, no one is listening out here, not many that I can have a conversation with. They just don't want to wake up. I think it's fearful to hear about. Yeah, it is. And that's just it. You know, Jocelyn, and we talked about this on the tour as well that and in my presentation, I, I mentioned that, you know, there's a whole lot of people walking around in this bubble, right? They have this bubble, their their world is in this bubble. And inside that bubble, they're still paying the mortgage, they're still paying the rent, they're still putting food on the table, they're still getting little Johnny and Susie to hockey and soccer. Um, and so they don't want their world turned upside down. They don't want somebody like Mark Friesen to come along and pop their little bubble they like the ignorance ignorance is bliss this is this is how people operate just don't say anything don't tell me anything that's going to ruin what i believe and i believe in my bubble that everything is fine and uh, of course it's not we all know that it isn't but that's what that's where we're at and unfortunately for those people they're either going to listen to people like myself and they're going to wake up and they're going to prepare and they're going to come together 
or reality and consequences are going to do it for them. And they'll be left in shock. They'll be left in a state of fear and anxiety and depression because they didn't listen to people who were warning them to prepare themselves for what's coming. And, uh, you know, again, ignorance is bliss until it isn't. And uh, then, you know, at some point, uh, <laughs> reality's gonna, gonna pop that and burst that bubble anyway. So, um, you know, it is what it is. We can all, all we can do is try. And, and we're seeing that um, our hard work and the fruits of our labor coming together in a province such as Saskatchewan and, and, and even Alberta. You know, through the pandemic, we did these town halls uh, in farmer shops. We did it in in horse corrals. We did it in a slaughterhouse just close to Westlock, Alberta. And we can see the value in what we achieved even through that time where the crowds were considerably smaller. Um, but there is a lot of value in what we've done to this point and the education in this province. I mean, you can see it. You, we saw it when the convoy was moving to Ottawa and Scott Moe, he was the first province, first provincial leader to announce lifting the mandates and restrictions. That was because not necessarily the convoy, although it played a role. It was, again, I've mentioned this before, it was the SAS party, the ruling party. I was told from an insider that they were at 10% of their donations that they would have normally been at previous years. 10%, um, that forced Scott Moe into action to announce the lifting of mandates and restrictions because rural Saskatchewan, their base said enough's enough, Scott Moe, and forced them. And then what happened? The next day, Jason Kenney in Alberta announces the same thing, except he moved up his dates because he has to be better than Scott Moe. And then the rest of the country, the dominoes fell, right? So... So we're this neat little province in Saskatchewan where, you know, people are paying attention. And, and this is one of the things I want to talk about tonight. So we just got out of a Zoom meeting. Um, it was a national meeting of some people to do with farms and farming and farmers. Um, in response to what's happening in the Netherlands. And so, you know, a lot of the thought was that we have to support the Netherlands and the Dutch in their plight. And I agree, and we do, and we do have to support them um, in, in any way that we can. However, we also have to understand that the same plight that they're going through, the destruction of their livelihood is coming here. Trudeau's already laid tracks, referring to our farmers as the dirtiest farmers on the planet. Those were his words. Um, you know it's coming, this 30% reduction in nitrogen usage uh, will decimate the farms in this country. Um, fertilizer, nitrogen-based fertilizer is essential to, you know, bumper crops to, to good crops and you're re reducing that by 30 percent is going to have an enormous negative effect on our farms here in in uh, in Canada so 
you know, as much as yes, we need to support the Dutch farmers, we're in the same battle. We're in the same war. They're going to do exactly the same thing to our farmers as there as is being done to the Dutch farmers. You know, everything that we're seeing around the world, um, you know, German farmers are now joining in the in the protest because it's going to affect all of these different countries and the farmers within. And so we're going to see this unrest. And then all you have to do is listen to Klaus Schwab every so often. Klaus said a number of weeks ago that uh, the world is going to become an angrier place. Well, of, of course it is. When you create an environment that you're destroying people's livelihoods, you're destroying the ability to feed people. You know, they talk about all of these things that are affecting, you know, third world, second world uh, countries. What do you think you're doing when you're handcuffing farmers, the breadbasket of the world, with these ridiculous uh, climate change uh, actions like the reduction of nitrogen usage? You know, this whole climate change thing is a big farce. Um, it's based on CO2, right? CO2 is the enemy. CO2 is a fundamental building block of all life on earth. And without, in fact, I just watched a video today. It's on Twitter. I don't know. I shared it on Twitter um, where Trudeau was, was educating some children and some adults were there and how the forest works and how trees works and and how photosynthesis, the process of trees and vegetation and plants using CO2 to then expel oxygen so we can live, humans can survive on this planet, um, and how what's left is the carbon, which is the trees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, this prime ministerial idiot is hammering us with a carbon tax, carbon pricing, which is just a funding mechanism. That's all it is. It doesn't do anything to save the planet because CO2 is plant food. The more plants you grow, the more CO2 in the atmosphere, the more plants there are, the more vegetation there is. The bigger the plants, the bigger the plants, the bigger the trees, the more vegetation, the more food there is for animals, the bigger the animals, the more animals, which equates to more food for us. It's this neat little system we have on planet Earth. CO2 is a fundamental building block of all of life on Earth and is necessary. So this idea that it's pollution and it's poison and they need to hit you with a carbon tax to resolve this problem is is insane. It's ridiculous. It's not science. Um, it's the opposite. But again, it's still this narrative that they're pushing, and they're going to use that narrative to destroy farmers, destroy the industry of farming, destroy livelihoods um, and the family farm. This is what it's all about. It's all about um, hoarding all of the resources 
taking control of all the resources, which is why Gates is buying up all the farmland uh, south of the border. Uh, he owns the most farmland uh, out of anyone in that country. That's why, because they're hoarding all of the resources. They want to hoard, and Canada happens to be a country that has a whole lot of resources, a whole lot of energy in oil and gas, a whole lot of food in farming, a whole lot of food in ranching, um, a whole lot of fertilizer in, in potash, a whole lot of uh, mining, gold and uranium and, and uh, all these other uh, minerals. Uh, we have trees. We have all the resources that the world wants and needs, which is why we are a target, which is why we had this meeting today of a bunch of farmers across the country with some of the freedom fighters mixed in because all of the freedom groups now were asking that they unite to support the Dutch and their plight, but also to support the plight that our farmers here in Canada are going to be exposed to here shortly. So we're looking at, um, and I wasn't able to spend the, the whole time there. I had to leave early. So I'm not sure where it fell, but there's going to be a flyer coming out that we're going to promote uh, some action on the 23rd. And uh, so we're hoping that farmers in Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, can come together on the 23rd and local organizers you guys have to figure this out where you're going to meet where you're going to slow roll we want to see an abundance of tractors um what have you farm equipment um converging um somewhere so i'm going to leave that under the hat for now but uh anyone in saskatchewan that's uh that wants to support this, that wants to be part of it, uh, you can contact me at info at ffcs.info. For us, it's a little bit of a preemptive um, action. And I think it's important that we do that before they come out with this 30% reduction of nitrogen usage. Um, we, we, that we come together in this protest in this action before they actually come after our farmers. And, and this affects everybody, folks. This isn't just an issue of the farmers or the ranchers. This is our food. This is our ability to feed ourselves. And these psychopaths want to destroy that and destroy our ability to farm effectively and adequately. Um, there isn't a greater reason to come together in defense of our farmers, in defense of our ranchers, in defense of our way of life, especially in the province of Saskatchewan um, and Alberta, and of course, Manitoba, uh, the prairies. I mean, this is it. Um, we have to we have to do this we have to unite we have to take a strong stand we have to set a tone we have to set the message that there's nothing more important than our food 
and our ability to grow food and our ability to provide food, um, they want to take it away from us. It's extremely serious and we need to come together. We need to unite and do something preemptive to stop them from taking this action. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, again, anybody that wants to be part of this, uh, you can email me at info at ffcs.info. Um, it's a it's a pretty important time. Alberta, um, I would suggest talking to Ron Clark. I mean, I'd be on the phone conversation with Ron here. Um, it looks like he sort of started something. They had a, a smaller convoy uh, the other day. Uh, <clears throat> but there'll be some other folks too. Uh, come together province by province, take a certain action, get it on film, uh, get your Netherlands flags, your Canadian flags, whatever it is, um, and and let's make a scene and let's uh, let's stand for our food and stand for farmers and stand for ranchers. Um, hashtags are all in those. Um, yes, we have to, Kelly Lloyd. We absolutely have to. Kelly Lloyd says we must protest for the sake of our children. We have to. We have no choice, you guys. This is... This is insane. The 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 uh, what we're what we're being asked to endure, what we're being asked to to accept, we we simply can't accept. We can't, and we have to make sure that our provincial leaders are defending our ability to our live to provide a, a, a livelihood for our families. We have to ensure that our premiers are defending our way of life defending our economy we have to we have to do this and do it provincially because your provincial uh premiers your provincial governments have a lot of power that they need to exercise finally and if they're not willing to do that then they, we need to fire them and get somebody in that will um we're under attack the globalist agenda, sustainable development agenda is here. This is what COVID's been all about. This is what the climate change narrative has been all about, leading up to where we are. And now they're going to destroy the family farm. They're going to destroy our ability to grow food. Um, it doesn't get much more serious than this, folks. So, you know, the, it, it's extremely important that we do this. And uh, hang on, I just got to send a link to Salim. I think I forgot to do that. So I'll do that now. So he'll be joining us here shortly. All right, there we go. So yeah, so Salim should be here shortly. So, you know, that's, that's we are where we're at. It's unavoidable. Um, they've taken us on this path. So so the 23rd is sort of the date we're looking at. Stay tuned for a flyer. Somebody's going to put out a flyer. Where I, I, you know, I stressed in this meeting that the messaging has to be very clear. Um, it has to be about the farmers. It has to be about their ability um, to grow food and our ability to distribute it, our ability to transport it, uh, all of these things are going to be under attack. We're no different. We're no different. We're not going to escape this. 
they may slow roll it a little bit, um, uh, you know, implementing all of these things to keep us hypnotized rather than what, what the Dutch government has done to the Dutch people, which is basically hit them with a hammer. Um, so, but it's coming. So we have to, we have to do this. We have to take a preemptive approach and, uh, and set the tone, set the message that, uh, our provincial governments better be standing in defense of our livelihood, especially in the prairie provinces where, you know, farming is a huge part of our economic uh, viability and uh, it needs to happen. And we have to make sure that our premiers are going to defend our interests uh, at every turn and be able to tell Ottawa to beat it um, and protect this, the, farming industry. Hey, Karen, good to see you too. How do we ever get to this place? Our government's uniting against the people of the world trying to get rid of us. Yes, it's exactly how we got to this place, through the UN agenda, sustainable development agenda. This is how we got to this place. And this is what our whole speaking tour through Saskatchewan and Northern Ontario was all about. It's all about that agenda. So just so we're clear, all of this attack on farms is about control because all of the agenda, the sustainable development agenda is about hyper, hyper centralization of control of resources, um, of controlling all aspects of everyone's life from an unelected, unaccountable foreign position, um, i.e. the World Economic Forum, the UN. That's what this is all about. And one thing I have to show you guys that you may not have seen for whatever reason is, is how we got into this mess. And one of the ways we got into this mess was through the Conservatives, the Conservative Party of Canada and Stephen Harper. So I'm going to play you a little clip here of Stephen Harper. It's not very long, and it's but it's very important, and it's indicative of how committed our government, successive governments, have been um, to this agenda. Keep in mind, when we're talking about the World Economic Forum, we're talking about a group that was created by the same people that created the Sustainable Development Agenda, the Club of Rome. They created the World Economic Forum. They tapped Klaus Schwab to lead that organization in 1971 to support the development and implementation of Sustainable Development Agenda. Um, that's where it started. So the World Economic Forum is secondary to the priority, which is the sustainable development agenda, the sustainable development goals. So I'm going to play you this clip of Stephen Harper speaking at the World Economic Forum directly to Klaus Schwab. Take a moment to offer my personal congratulations to you on this, the 40th annual gathering of your creation the World Economic Forum, you chose as its motto, committed to improving the state of the world. 
I would observe that few who have set such a lofty goal have more reason to be pleased with their accomplishments. To have conceived of the need for such an institution as this required insight. To have established it took commitment. But to have then nurtured it as a podium from which business and political leaders could nudge public policy by addressing their peers from around the world, that is a form. So leaders could nudge public policy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We're seeing a whole lot of nudging being done after Stephen Harper signed the UN Sustainable Development Agenda, Agenda 2030, the SDGs, September 27th. 2015, when one month later Trudeau was elected, referred to our nation as the first post-national state and a country that has no core identity, referring not to Canadians, referring not to or informing not Canadians, but talking and speaking to his handlers, the UN, the World Economic Forum, and telling them in those words that they are fully committed to implement what Stephen Harper finished signing one month before the election of Justin Trudeau. And if you look at all of the bills, you look at all of the OICs, the Orders in Council, and if you look at all of the bureaucratic policy that's been implemented since Trudeau was elected, you will see all of it is in compliance with sustainable development. All of it. So I'll let Stephen carry on. Formidable achievement, and Professor, this gathering salutes you. So so you can see, uh, I mean, you don't judge a man by his words, you judge him by his actions, right? Well, Stephen Harper's actions um, were to make the sustainable development agenda in our country law and called it the Sustainability Act. And around that same time, he told Canadians, there's another clip I could show you, I'll show you, I might show you later, where he refers to this idea of less sovereignty as enlightened sovereignty and created this new law called the Sustainability Act, which compels our governments on behalf of the people they represent, Canadians, to report our progress in meeting the goals of sustainable development to the UN, an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity hell-bent on seeing the destruction of Western civilization, Canada included. <clears throat> That's the law that was created that compels us. So they always like to say that, yeah, it's non-binding. It's no big deal. Well, it is binding when you make it law in your country. And then you elect Justin Trudeau to implement this agenda through laws, through OICs, through policy, which is what he's done from the moment he got in to this very day. It's why our economy has been destroyed. Our industries are being destroyed. Our farming, our ranching is going to be destroyed. This is why. It's all to do with the commitment to sustainable development that Stephen Harper and his conservatives are mostly and largely responsible for. That doesn't absolve the liberals of their responsibility. But you'll notice 
every time this agenda has been signed or committed to, it's been by a conservative government. Brian Mulroney signed it in 92. Stephen Harper signed it in 2015. Made it law in 2008. And the liberals were tasked with the implementation of it. And so this is where we're at. And this is why we're seeing this destruction. Understand the agenda. Understand the 17 goals. It's all... It, it affects all aspects of your life. It, 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 it affects everything. The air we breathe, which is now, if you look into the sky, being sprayed almost daily, there, there's law that covers weather modification. If there's law that governs it, you know they're doing it. There's a treaty between Canada and America that allows for each country to spray close to their borders. There's a treaty in place that allows for this. So it's not a theory. It's not a conspiracy theory like they like to say. All of this is tied in. All of this is part of this agenda. And the basis of this agenda was a book called The Limits to Growth, where the, the priority of the whole agenda that they put together is depopulation. It's depopulation. Their premise is that there's too many people. There's too many useless eaters. And they need to reduce. Dennis Meadows, pinned to my Twitter, says very clearly their goal is to reduce the planet's population from 7 billion to 1 billion. Or we have to live under a dictatorship. Those are the two options that he presents. Imagine... 7 billion to 1 billion. Imagine having that mindset. What are you going to do to reduce the population so dramatically in a special way, according to Dennis Meadows, in a, in a, a way that's equal, that we all can share in the experience? It's, it's insane. I encourage you all to watch it. It's pinned to my Twitter account. Um, how do you do that? Well, you do it through abortion. You do it through uh, the trans movement. You do it through LGBTQ supremacy. You do it through euthanasia. You do it through virus, a manipulated, manufactured virus. You do it through a jab that everyone has to take, that it's mandatory, and it's killing people. The, 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 the proof is in. Every vaccine before this one, I'll probably get banned from YouTube or from, well, maybe YouTube and probably Facebook for this, um, but whatever. Um, the stats are in. They can't avoid it. It is what it is. So there's all these special ways that they're able to do this. Anyways. Uh, I can't take up any more time. I got Salim Mansour backstage waiting for me to bring him in. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, globalism and uh, and a little different perspective on things. Uh, there's my good friend, Salim Mansour. Hi, Salim. Good evening, Mark. Nice to see you. Yes, nice to see you too. It's been a little while. It's been a little while, yes. For both of us but you have been you have been very busy and yes. uh, you've been on the road and and meeting people so tell me just just tell me uh share with me 
how how is the reception how is the reaction of people the response of the people well what you know what, what? Salim, it's it's uh it's a lot of the reason why i continue to do it and why we continue to make plans to do it more um, the response was has been phenomenal even through northern ontario the people that showed up of course the crowds were smaller um but we're we're also dealing with a completely different demographic so but at the end of every one of these events that we did, people would come to us a lot of times in tears, you know, thanking us for what we're doing and the, and the message that we're that we're spreading, and 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 the information that we're sharing. Uh, you know, it's uh, in a lot of cases it's overwhelming for people, especially if they haven't really been paying attention. Um, it's a lot to take in, but when you add in Laura Lynn and and her her faith and and the message of of faith and God and 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 reintroducing God back into politics, um, it gives people hope and and then you know Sean Taylor would finish with a boatload of common sense and a little bit of humor and you know it it would, the response was was really good um, you know it it again it inspires us to continue on with it. Well, that's that's most encouraging to hear. I believe um, Maxine will be hitting the road again. I, I met him about two weeks ago in Toronto, uh, maybe more than two weeks ago. I mean, time is now dilating. That was in the middle of June. We are now in the middle of July, so a month ago. Yeah. And then I came back home and I um, myself fell ill. But I spent some time with Maxime and he was telling me about his uh, maritime trip and uh, I don't know whether now he's coming into Ontario or he's heading west but uh, the word is out that he's coming and he was also very enthusiastic about everything. He was, Maxime was in Toronto as I went to Toronto to um, uh, honor and, and, and salute, in my case to honor and salute Tamara Lee, she was uh, receiving the Justice Center George Jonas' Award, you know, and right. they couldn't have selected a better person for this year. Mm. Uh, so she is in, in so many different ways now, um, the photo, the face, the icon of what you are doing, what Maxime is doing, what I hope I can join you, that is to take the message out of freedom and responsibility and take back our country Yes, hundred percent, and 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 people really are now. We're noticing, uh, especially in Saskatchewan. Of course, you know I've worked really hard at, but people are very thirsty for the truth. They just they want to be told the truth, and when you tell them the truth, and then they stack it up to what they're being told by the establishment. Of course, it's two opposite things, right? And so light bulbs are going off. People are starting to get it and starting to understand that something's not right in 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 the establishment and what what the media is telling us, what our you know elected politicians are telling us, and because and and we make it very apparent to Salim, and you know we tell I tell them in my presentation that not one politician in this country has held a town hall to tell you what's happening or what we committed to and what we've signed you on to. Nobody has ever explained sustainable development agenda to anybody that's elected. 
has ever done that. And, and so they always dismiss it. They always refer to people like me as conspiracy theorists to dismiss and ridicule and label us to shut us down. But now it's like people are actually listening because they know something is very wrong and something needs to change. So, Yeah, and, and we are moving at a very fast pace and it is going to gather even more speed. The momentum is going to increase. I mean, the last time you and I spoke um, on a Friday evening was maybe more than a month ago, uh, six, seven weeks ago. I don't know, remember the date. Uh, <clears throat> but since then, things have moved very, very rapidly. Things may not be moving as rapidly inside Canada. And that's a conversation in itself. Why not? Um, that is people I like you. I think it's going to start. Yeah, that's what I meant. People like like you and Laura Lynn and Sean Taylor and Maxim doing his share of it, uh, going out and speaking with people in those town hall and people coming together in those little numbers. You know, I mean, we have to put it in proportion. You know, what what you can reach and you are reaching and they're in, and hopefully they will magnify and amplify right. the discussion around the dinner table with their children and their grandparents and 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 the neighbors. And so one of the things that, that we talked about in these events, too, was this, this idea of communities. And, and rural folks really have a, a, a way of doing this yes. community together and communicating and sharing information with each yes. other more so than, than urbanites. It's not going to oh. be urbanites that save this country. It's yeah. going to be the rural folk that, that bring communities together. And... You know, even in that, the bonus is that if we don't resolve this necessarily politically and the system does crash and, and we can st we're still building this network, we're still building these communities, the antidote to hyper-centralization and globalism is local community building. That's the antidote to all of this, I think. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, the, um, what I was meaning by gathering speed and the discussion, you know, within Canada, why the, it is not gathering as much speed as, for instance, what we are witnessing to the extent that we are in Europe. You know, the, the dominoes have started falling and, and it's going to fall even faster. It's just begun. Um, hopefully we can talk about it. And in America, too. I mean, the, 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 the November election is just around the corner now, and it is going to gather huge momentum. It is gathering momentum. Uh, there are big, important signs that we can talk about the decision of the Supreme Court in America that came down very, very significant uh, and, and what's happening. So in, in effect, um, the globalist agenda, which is, again, basically, ironically, but Again, you. I was listening to you from the backstage. You were pointing out some historical connection. The globalist agenda is a Western agenda. Yes. You know, it, the globalist agenda did not come from Vietnam. It did not come from Sri Lanka. It did no. not come from South Africa or no. India. Even it did not come from China, you know. Right. Right. Uh, so this is, this is, we are sitting in the heart of the globalist agenda. Canada, by the way, is right at the top. It is the laboratory of the globalist agenda. 
the, the, the person referred to as the father of sustainable development is a Canadian by the name of Maurice Strong, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? An avowed socialist and sympathetic to communism. Well, here, he, 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 he is buried in Beijing. He didn't, his body was not brought back to Canada, you know. In fact, for the last 10, 12 years of his life, he was living uh, in hideout in uh, from uh, from uh, from the world in in beijing so this is the western agenda and canada is right at the top of it and and the crash is going to come and when it comes it'll come very speedily and that's the question is do canadians wake up sufficiently to absorb the crash or will the crash land upon their head and then they not only panic they start exactly what the elite want start fighting amongst ourselves yes 100%. you see 100%. So, this is why what we're doing salim is so important because we're planting seeds and we may not be able to burst the bubbles that the majority of people find themselves in and want to be in this 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 ignorance is bliss idea but we're planting seeds so when it comes to their doorstep and it affects them and their bubble is burst, they'll at least, maybe the light bulb will, will send them in the right direction so they understand that, yes, what Mark Friesen and Salim Mansour and Laura Lynn and these other people were talking about, here it is. This is what they were talking about. That's right. And we have been talking about, by the way, this is simply historical facts. Uh, we don't have the bullhorn. Uh, in my case, I've been talking about this from 1990s. And been totally isolated, you know. I mean, my big topic issue was multiculturalism. Well, the American people are waking up with critical race theory, which is multiculturalism, you know. Right. Um, and the mama bears are coming out to defend the children. I mean, this is this is it. So Canadian mama bears have to come out and and defend their children and defend their culture. So the attack was on culture, but because our lifestyle in the West, that is Western Europe and of course Canada, we are a G7 country, whether we deserve it or not, we, are, we, we were made a G7 country. And of course, we are sitting on top of the greatest power in, in world civilization, United States. And, and that is a subject that desperately needs to be examined. Yes. You know, uh, because it is the crash of the United States that is going to liberate mankind. This is this is the sad thing because what has happened over the last uh, 75, 80 years, you know, I'm holding in my hand. I picked it, you know, I, you telephoned me and I was on the road. So I got off and I went into a bus shelter so I could speak to you with the traffic, you know, downtown okay, yeah. London. Okay. I had gone <laughs> I had gone to this one particular store in London that uh, gets all the international magazine and the magazine I went to get is this one. Oh, yeah. Harper magazine this is the current issue. The M American century is over. Mm. Is, you know, the American century is over. Harper is running the, the, the cover story in the June issue. It is a monthly magazine. Harper is one of the oldest American magazine that goes back to before the Civil War in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, and 
was highly, highly respected magazine. It has gone down like everything else, education and so on and so forth. Uh, I was introduced to this magazine in my first year in America, that is in, 19, oh, in Canada in 1974 by an American professor. And he told me that I should read it regularly. And I read it right until climate change, when Harper started promoting global warming and Al Gore. And I, I said, enough, I don't have to listen to this nonsense. So today I went to pick it up just to, you know, go through it. It is the most important subject. And I hope we can spin around, spend a few evenings, few Fridays and come back to it. Because at the heart of the matter, Mark, and, and you can come back, you know, you have your questions, I know. But at the heart of the matter, the awakening of the people is to a very simple thing, Mark. And that simple thing is suddenly you realize, that is whoever you're speaking to, they realize we have been lied to, yes. lied to, lied to. We have been lied to for the last hundred years. It is, again, the lies did not come from somewhere, again, I go back to it, from Cambodia or from Sri Lanka, which has basically collapsed. It was manufactured right here, and people were given Nobel Prize for that. People, you know, became big shots for that, you know, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And, right. and we gobbled those lies. Yes. And now it is exploding because lies come back home. They're coming home to roost. And it is coming home to Ruth, you know, because there's nothing more left now outside America uh, that is the Western world. They have sucked dry the world. And now they wanted to turn around and suck dry the people within the empire. Yes, exactly. And this is where we are now. And, 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 and this is their whole agenda is to is essentially burn it all down and from the ashes, create this utopia that they believe from this hyper-centralized global governance model. That's essentially the plan. But we're seeing, as we spoke about earlier today, Salim, what we're seeing are these most populated nations in, in the world, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, now Argentina, now Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, saying, hold it here. We're not playing this game any longer. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very interesting to watch. What a time to be alive. Exactly, exactly. I mean, um, this is the time to be alive in the sense when all the lies collapse and we feel liberated, you know, and it has to happen inside the empire. It cannot happen yeah. outside the empire. Absolutely. So um, in, in the time, I, there are so many issues to pick up, but let me take pick up one thing which to me goes to the heart of the problem in terms of who we are as a people. It is ultimately, it is not economics, it is not physics, it is not chemistry, it is not any of these things, politics, it is moral authority. Do you trust the man who is your father? Do you trust the woman who is your mother? Do you trust the teacher to whom you leave your child with, is a professor? Do you trust the bishop, the priest, the imam? That's the question that comes to the moral authority. And for the last 50 years on this particular example, I'm going to bring 
out. Everybody knows about it. But it is now, this year it happened. It happened only three weeks ago. Finally, it happened that the Supreme Court of the United States declared that there is no basis in the American Constitution, the right to abortion. That right. was the right that was created out of nothing. It was a lie. Right. 1970. Yeah, it was it was a lie. But you see, nine Supreme Court justices, the American presidents, the congressmen and women, the professors, the doctors, everybody bought that lie. Mm. Right? And, and, then convinced, and, and then convinced the masses to agree with the lie. Right, and who was supposed to oppose that lie at the ultimate? Because, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite quotation on this matter is from this man, Carl Sandburg. Uh, Carl Sandburg was a great American poet, biographer of Abraham Lincoln uh, in the 19th century. Um, and Carl Sandburg said, in one sentence, he captured the whole dynamics of this issue. This is long before any of this abortion issue came about because he's talking about in the 19th century, late 19th, early 20th century, sometime in that time period. And he said, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. And what did the nine Supreme Court justices do in 1973? Went against God's opinion and said, you know, it is your human right. It is your constitutional right, right. to abort a baby. Uh, and nobody can stop you from that because that's your right. And 63 million American babies black and white and yellow. The largest one proportionately were blacks, but right. 63 million American babies were murdered. This abortion is murdered and women participated in it because you can see them running around now, these left-wing women, these secular women, these radical women running around and now they're threatening the justices of the Supreme right. Court and Biden and Attorney General and the governors, they're not providing the protection, you know. So what has happened by, by buying into the law, they have become themselves devil's children, yes. you know. And, and they this one example explains what has happened over the last 50 years. Mm. We can talk endlessly about climate change, Al Gore and his BS, you know, uh, Stephen Harper, but all of them. And in Canada, we are now the only country in the world that has no law protecting the right. baby in the no, safe. In fact, we, we've emboldened them by allowing sex selective abortion. Just everything till the last minute, till, Late you term. know. Uh, a late term, you know, and there is no questioning of, you cannot question it. I mean, when the Supreme Court justices came down with that decision, the Prime Minister of Canada went immediately on the air and said, we will protect abortion so that the women in America can be safe to come to Canada. What a, what a glorious 
glorious example we are giving out. And and the timing, you say 1973, the timing is, of course, in line with the, 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 the first incarnation or the first coming together of this group of people that their priority is depopulation. And what exactly. better way to control population than through the killing of babies. So you you, you go back to it. I mean, you, you, you began with globalism. I, I put in this issue because ultimately it is a moral issue, you know. Yes. Uh, the, 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 the globalist agenda, Scrawshaw, uh, you talked about it, you know, you talked about uh, uh, Club of Rome uh, you, and, and, and you mentioned that. But there were other organizations. These yeah. were created going back a hundred years. That's that's the Harper Magazine talking about yes. the end of the American century. That's we're going back a hundred years. We're going back to the beginning of the 20th century. That is the making of the Council for Foreign Relations, which is the yeah. father of everything, you know. The Foreign trilateral, Foreign. the trilateral commission, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and their agent, which ultimately becomes the military-industrial complex, which becomes the deep state, you know, yeah. and, 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 and so on. And, and we need to connect those dots. And in Canada, uh, you know, I, I made a, I, I don't know if you saw my podcast from about two weeks ago, Canada is a vassal state, the realization, ultimately, that we have never been an independent country. No, we, it is a phony, fake argument. Mm -hmm. Our country, our constitution is actually a handcuff on the people. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have prime ministers like the present one or Harper or all, just about all the exceptional prime ministers. If you go back and look at their lives and examine it, and that's why history is so important. Mm -hmm. The exceptional prime ministers, I would mention basically two are exception, leaving Johnny McDonald aside, you know, in fact, he was the instrument of making this dominion. And, you know, right. now we can see 150 years later, 60 years later, that this is all basically a big BS. But the two exceptional prime ministers, the first one was Wilfred Laurier and the next one was John Diefenbaker. And both of them tried to basically give a Canadian identity to Canada. You know, um, Laurier spoke yeah. about being a Canadian first and last, and he was a French Canadian. And, and, you know, he was removed or he was defeated by English Canada on the eve of World War One. you know, as it was leading up to it. And now if you go back and examine why, it is because English Canada was going to go to war it had already gone to war in Africa, the Boer War, uh, saluting the, the uh, kings and queens of England. Uh, when they say, let's go, we were ready. The Canadian, the rest, the English-speaking Canadians were ready to go. What interest did we have? What was the national interest? Nobody asked. The, the, the French said they won't go. So that was the first conscription crisis. And Laurier had to go. Because Laurier was the French uh, prime minister in Canada, you know, and he would have argued about how we can go to this war if we are divided among ourselves. So he was removed. 
and the War Measures Act was passed and, you know, we went to war, but Quebec did not go. The same thing happened in World War II. Quebec refused to go, conscription crisis, right. and, 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 and Canada, that is English Canada went. So Laurier, the first prime minister who was really concerned in thinking about Canada as a as a unity, as a cohesive culture. And the second man was John Deefen Baker from your part of the world, from Saskatchewan. And you see, they got rid of him. Right. They got rid of him as fast as they could because he, again, he tried to give Canada a Bill of Rights. He tried to give a Canadian identity, you know. He tried to speak about those issues. And then when, the, when after the war, the whole issue emerged about Soviet Union, communism, uh, the Cold War, and Canada is in the middle of it. Diefenbaker tried to make a case, make an argument that, okay, we will go along with NATO, we will go along with NORAD, but it must be our decision. We must have control over our equipment, yes. you know. And immediately he was removed. You know, there was a crisis and, and he was gone. Right. So, so in the bigger picture, Salim, of, of what we're seeing today, we, we talked earlier today about, you know, how the Ukraine war fits into this and, and how, you know, these countries are sort of siding with Russia because they see that, that this war was created. It wasn't something that just happened. It was created to, to exploit the consequences that this war creates. Uh, I think. And so uh, expand on that a little bit. Yes. <clears throat> the, the first point that I would make is um, since the end of the Cold War, which is again the same time period that we are going back to, which is the Earth Summit and, you know, the whole issue of climate change that comes out yeah. of Rio in 1992, the Cold War ends in 1991, Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. So for the last 30 years, mm. the, the, the Ukraine war started in February, the special operation that, that right. uh, Putin launched on February 24th. But so for the last 30 years, there has been endless wars. Yes. You know, the question is, and, and this goes back to the, again, you said the larger framework, we can get into the Ukraine war itself and we need to. We had talked about it before, but we will get, we can get into it in the little time that we have and we can come back again. But yeah. the, the, the fact of the matter in the large picture is we, Canadians and Americans and Europeans, particularly, you know, French and British and, and Denmark and Danish and up north, you know, we have been sleeping through these conflicts and war because we were not affected by it. Right. No bomb was falling on Copenhagen. No bomb was falling on, you know, London. No bomb was falling, you know. We went through two world wars in, in the last century, but there was not one bomb that fell either in Newfoundland or in British Columbia, in New York or in California, you know. We were, we, we did not, pay any price. In other words, we were living inside the belly of the beast. Mm -hmm. We, the people, you know, the biblical images, uh, Jonah inside the whale, right? Yep. Jonah inside the whale is the safest place to be if you're in the ocean. 
because then no shark can get you. Right. <laughs> so that's the metaphor. So we have been living inside that. But for the last 30 years, Africa, Middle East, you know, Southeast Asia have been living through warfare. We don't have to go back to 1980s and 1970s, the Vietnam War and so on. Just the last 30 years. And why, why have they been living through these warfare? It is to push the agenda of the globalists upon the people. Yeah. What is the agenda they have been pushing? That is to control them. You know, uh, take the Middle East. The Middle East is um, a, uh, Saudi Arabia. Good, bad, and ugly besi is beside it. That's human side of it. But from what is given by nature or God, Middle East is one of the richest place in terms of, you know, uh, natural fossil fuel, petroleum. You know, uh, Saudi Arabia is the number one producer uh, of fossil fuel in the world. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all the other surrounding countries. So here it is. You, you control the oil from the last 35, 40 years. Actually, going back to next year will be 50 years. The Arab-Israeli War of 1973, when the West faced with uh, 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 embargo, oil embargo by the OPEC countries. And then the West turned around and challenged OPEC and took over through negotiation that, okay, you keep the supply going, but you your oil will become the basis of international currency and so that's right. the beginning of the petrodollar you know that if any country wants to buy oil which is all the countries in the world buy oil and, and middle east is the biggest supplier that is say japan now china has become the second largest economy in the world china they need oil they don't have uh, their own so to buy oil they'll have to get us dollars to buy oil so they have to buy U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar becomes the reserve currency. So that was the partnership that was created between United States and Saudi Arabia, United States and Iran right. and so on. Right. Then Iran had its revolution and went away. But there's a history behind that. But for the moment, it is the mechanics I'm explaining. So you have this. And then at that time, Soviet Union is around. So... The globalist agenda is not completely exposed because the Cold War is going on and you need to keep alliances against the Soviet Union and, and, and keep people together so that they do not break ranks and they go away, that is country. So that was another pressure, the, the Cold War. But then in 1991, Cold War ended. There was no Soviet Union, Soviet Union collapsed. You know, so on this issue, on this particular issue of natural resources, oil and climate change, nobody was speaking about climate change in 1980 or 1985 or 1987 or 1990 even. In fact, the climate change issue was nuclear winter. It was not about global warming. Right. right. The, the argument was winter and and the fear that was created was if there is a nuclear war if there is a shootout between you know, you know the uh, east and west 
uh, over any issue and there's a nuclear war, this is going to create a nuclear winter because of the ashes and the covering and so on. And I remember I was, you know, I just arrived in, 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 in North America. This is early 1970s. And the biggest issue was nuclear winter. And then Cold War ends, 25 years later, suddenly it is announced that there is man-made global warming. And Al Gore and everyone is running around, you know, that Manhattan will disappear, Newfoundland will disappear, all, you know, all of this is not fiction, you know. And we were wondering, what the heck are you talking about? Mm. You know, and those people and Canadians, Leading Canadian scientists, people like Fred Singer in, in UBC, uh, my colleague at, at Weston, Chris Essex, they were basically pointing out this is nonsense. And, yes. and some of the biggest names in science were saying, what absurdity. Yeah. But it was a manufacturing of a lie. And, and that lie was told over and over, and people bought that lie. Well, and it's and, and I mean, obviously they use fear, and fear is a is a is a great motivator, and fear gets people to do ridiculous things, and and this is why they use fear to be able to get yeah. people to accept a lot of what they're doing, right? Exactly. But but now question goes back to what happened to these Arab countries on, and, and oil producing countries, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly they are faced with this challenge. If right. if uh, petroleum is the is, is, is the cause of global warming and we are going to sh move away from fossil fuel to uh, what they're talking about, renewable energy, windmills and solar panels then what happens to us? What happens to our economy and right. so on, right? So then the argument was presented to them and we're going back to the UN because UN is a global forum that we're going to have a carbon exchange. Yes. We are going to excuse you. You can use your fossil fuel. China, India, Nigeria, you can use your fossil fuel. But... For Canadians to use fossil fuel, they got to pay big tax. That will be the, and that tax will then we we distribute that money through a system. Of course, there's going to be commission, and Bill Gates is going to get his commission, and George Soros will get his commission, and all of these guys will get their big commission. They are the trillionaires and billionaires. Well, and that's the whole th the whole thing behind this carbon tax is your is you're penalizing people for creating CO2, which is a fundamental building block of all life on Earth. Right, yeah. But there was a committee struck at the UN in 2012 where they were trying to figure out the best way to finance and to fund the agenda, and they came up with carbon tax and carbon pricing. So Correct. But, but the part of it is the carbon tax and carbon pricing is the redistribution of yeah. money from the, the advanced country, that is people yes. like you and me, because uh, John Kerry is not paying any carbon tax. He's flying. And, and Leonardo DiCaprio is not paying any carbon. They are flying, you know, and, and that's the expense account. It is the middle class, the lower and, middle class, you know. Not they're not eating crickets either. 
that's why they're not going to eat crickets too. But they, we, that is the common people will pay this and this money will be then be paid out to Indians and Africans and, and, right. and Latin Americans and, and, well, and they, most of it will be lost through corruption. Well, most of it, what, what happened in Sri Lanka? I mean, this is happening. I'm not right now. The president exactly. ran away with right. money. That was the carbon money that the Canadians paid or, or Americans paid or others yeah. paid, you know, not only the Sri Lanka was going to be the model by 2025. And so, yeah, it's, so it, this, this is a Ponzi scheme. Everybody, under, everybody who's, who understood this was a Ponzi scheme. The question comes back, which is where you began as I was in the backstage, comes back. And, and let's talk a little bit about this because these are technicalities. We can get into it over and over again. We have to. But the politics of it, here it is, Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper was elected as a conservative. I was involved in it. You know, I was a conservative party member. I ran around with, in London and elsewhere. I went to the convention in Montreal when uh, Stephen Harper won the leadership and then Canadian Alliance merged with the Red Tories, that is Peter McKay, to create yes. the Conservative Party. Yes. Uh, well, Mark, I was there. I was in Montreal. I voted for Peter McKay because uh, Harper's people said, vote for Peter McKay so that we are going to merge, you know. Right. And, and so we were there. But here is the issue. Now we're coming back, looking at it, you know. There was no other party. There was no other thing. Maxime was there. All of us were there. He becomes a leader. What did he do? Hmm. He didn't speak out one moment about all that this was building up to. It was not something new that was happening. It was building up. We expected him to talk about it. Some of us expected that he will go out and publicly talk. Today, this is what I feel about Stephen Harper, that he would have been he would have been a good accountant for a grocer, yes. not to be a prime minister. He yes. in the almost nine and a half year that he was the prime minister, forget about town halls. He could have, as a prime minister he could have gone out and spoken to the people and explained to them yes. what are the challenges of our time. It's really interesting, Salim. I have to cut you off there and, and bring up this point. Um, it's really interesting to see how conservative supporters, conservative party supporters, react to Harper's video that I played earlier in the show when we started and how they make excuses for the man that, well, he didn't know what the World Economic Forum really was at the time. He really didn't understand you know, sustainable development, which is all hogwash. I, I, I believe he, he completely understood exactly what he was doing and, and he did it and he committed us to it and he made laws regarding it. So this idea that, that you know, well, he was just wooed by Klaus Schwab is just... <laughs> uh... No, you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it is, it is in, in my view, it is even worse than that. Yes. They basically said one thing to the people and and they were committed with the elite in Canada. We have talked about this, the Laurentian elite, 
who have signed on to this project. As I said, Canada is not an independent sovereign country. That's, that's a big lie that we have been living. So they have signed on to it long time ago. The Conservative Party and the uh, Liberal Party are just the two faces that they can keep spinning around to distract the people. And nobody is going to ask the fundamental question. Nobody means the media. The media is owned by them. Nobody is going to ask it. Uh, and our all our institutions, this is the sad part. So when you talk when you talk about Western civilization, this is what the collapse is coming. The people who are responsible for the collapse, they are going to come out and say, we're going to save the Western civilization. The very people who have put the match, the fire, they're the, they, they are the ones who are burning down the Western civilization. They're going to stand up and say, oh, we're going to now protect it. You yeah. see, and, and, and the people are going to, again, go along with that. You see, that that is the play that is going to happen in the West. But what is happening right now in terms of the rest of the world? So back to the Ukraine war. War had been going along from 1991. If you think about it, I can give you the date, the Rwanda crisis. There was a massacre, genocide in Rwanda. The Somalia issue there was, you know, in 1993, 1994. Remember the Black Hawk Down, the movie that was made and so on and so forth. That's only 1990. Right. Then came the wars in the Balkans, the Bosnia war, you know, the Croatian war, mm -hmm. the Serbian war. Uh, there were wars in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, you know. Of course, the Afghanistan war was never stopped. You know, it began with the Soviet invasion in 1979. It carried on through the 1980s into the 1990s and so on. Then came the Iraq wars. The wars were going on. But what it was, these were wars, if you want to get an, a, a parallel to it, these were wars like the Indian wars in North America. Or, or the Mexican wars, you know, and so, you know, when I was a child growing up, I don't, I don't know whether you in Saskatoon had that, but I remember, you know, going back to Calcutta in the 1960s, we we would read Lone Ranger comics, Lone Ranger and Turtle. Remember Lone Ranger? Mm. Well, these were the Indian wars, you know. I mean, sh shooting the Indians, you know, Indians with the Indians are with the bow and arrows. And you know, you've got the guns and you can shoot them and destroy them and kill them. So these wars of 1990s with F-16 planes and F-35s and you know, all of the radars and equipment, you just blew up everybody. There was no there was no fighting. You know, I mean, if you look at the figures and the number, you know, for say a thousand Arabs killed, maybe, you know you would lose by accident one American soldier or one Canadian soldier because that would have been, you know, friendly fire or some other thing. Yeah. Right. So they became, that is, the Western elite, the military industrial complex, hmm. the deep state became totally, totally overconfidence. Hmm and overreach. So on the Ukraine issue, they manufactured a crisis and they thought they, in their calculation, in their analysis, in their projection, you know, when Biden's 
declared uh, after February 24th that we are going to turn the Russian ruble into rubble. And that was a full spectrum sanction. Every country in the world will have to follow that sanction. Everything. Russia was kicked out of the international banking system. Its money, its uh, sovereign money account was seized uh, and taken away. And of course, the full sanction of everything that Russia exports were going to be stopped and crushed. And so the idea was by doing that, Russia will collapse. Right. The economy will collapse. There will be a regime change. Putin will be kicked out and then um, they will take over just as the Middle East has been taken over, just as other parts will, will take over. Who will take over? The oligarchs, the Western oligarchs will take over. Not, not the Canadian people, not the American people, it's the oligarchs, you know. I mean, what sort of a civilization do we have that the oligarchs, their personal wealth is five times, six times, seven times the total GDP of an individual country. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, uh, Elon Musk. Well, I mean, when you, look at, when you look at BlackRock, you're talking about $15 trillion. BlackRock, in, in Vanguard, you know, so so, so this is, yeah. the, they, 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 they would control it, but the whole thing backfired. It backfired on, 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 on multiple levels. Number one, militarily, Russia is not Iraq. Right. Soviet Union has collapsed, but that doesn't mean that the capacity, the technology, the military know-how has disappeared. Right. So Russia is not Iraq. Plus, the natural wealth of Russia is in tremendous demand around the world. And right. the whole European economy depends upon it. I mean, Russia is the number, Saudi Arabia is the number one oil producing country in the world in terms of export. Russia is the second largest producer and exporter. Mm -hmm. Now, during the Trump administration, America had become the number one. But the first thing that Biden did was to come and reverse that. Right. We in Canada, we could be number one, number two, given our natural resources. But again, we have reversed it, you know, purposely to dis basically starve and kill our own people. Well, and this is and this is this leads into, you know, when you when you talk about BRICS nations, you talk about, you know, Brazil and Russia and and India and China and, and Saudi Arabia where in South Africa and Argentina, where, you know, their leaders want to do what's in the best interest of their country. And I can't fault them for that, even though they may share different interests than what would be in our interest. And maybe we would compete on the economic stage, which I think is okay. We want competition. We don't want monopolies. But this is what we need in our country. We need leaders that are nationalist and are are there and elected to represent the people and, and our best interest economically, industry, socially, all of these things. And, and I mean, the West, just nobody in the West uh, has their nations in their best interest at all. 
Well, that's right. I mean, um, in the last 50 years, um, <clears throat> they're the only president that has spoken out openly right. is uh, Donald Trump, you know, about America first, yes. about uh, nationalism. And what did America first mean? He, he was very upfront in his very first speech at the United Nation. He said, I represent America first, and I would like each one of you to represent your country as your first. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so this was not, and to be America first or Canada first is not to run down, you know, whether it is India, Japan, China, whatever. That is, we are 193 countries in the world. All of us are not gifted in the same way. All of us do not have similar history. All of us do not have the same culture or speak the same language, you know. Mm -hmm. But behind all of that, we share a common humanity. Yes. And so the common humanity is one which is to acknowledge the other respect the other and engage with the other. I mean, to me, the picture that basically brings home this point is everybody, I hope Canadians who are waking up will remember the picture from 2018 or 2019 um, when, when uh, Justin Trudeau goes to India and he dresses up like a Indian movie actor from Bollywood. If you remember that picture, you know, he's all got the thing on and, and on and his wife is dressed up in the same fashion. His children are dressed up in the same fashion and he's got the biggest smile on his face and he's holding his hand together like this and nodding. And he's expecting that 1.5 billion Indians are going to say, oh, what a great man this is, you know, and we love him and embrace him. And, and it was just the opposite. The Indians, people of all different ethnic back backgrounds, because India is a vast country, a vast culture and different religion, but they had one common reaction, and which was a reaction which was played out with the Indian prime minister who kept Trudeau waiting for seven days before he met with him. Mm -hmm. And that reaction was, what are we witnessing? Right. The equivalent of that would have been, if you wanted to see an equivalent to bring this matter home, the Indian prime minister coming to Canada, all dressed up with a native Indian headdress and feathers and marking and going to Ottawa and bowing and with tomahawk dancing and saying, you know, I have come to Canada. This is the Canadian dress. And right. all of us Canadian, what would we say? Mm. What is this joker doing? Right. But the difference is that Justin Trudeau went to India, insulted the Indian people without even thinking, you know, because no Indian dressed like that. That is that was 15th and 16th century dress. Every Indian wears like what I am dressed in, you know, tie and suit and, and, and so on. And they go about doing the business in the modern world. Um, but Justin Trudeau became a Bollywood actor. Now, why did he do that? And the, here is my explanation. I'll take a couple more minutes just to get this matter home. He was pandering 
in his mind and in the mind of the liberal politician and party people and media people, not to the Indian people in India. He was pandering to the Indian people in Canada, multiculturalism, right. that the Indian people are going to vote for him, right. which is exactly what they did. They voted for him. You see, but if an Indian prime minister came to Canada and dressed up like an Indian Mohawk or Cree or what other nation, you know, with all of those dress and went to Ottawa, mm -hmm. he would be not only insulting Canadian people, mm -hmm. but there would be no vote for him in India. Nobody would vote for him in India. Right. So see, this is what has happened. I'm bringing this going around the circle to come back to it. 50 years ago, when multiculturalism was introduced, everyone, except for the French Canadian, everyone in English Canada, everyone embraced it. Oh, what a great idea. This is motherhood and apple pie. You know, nobody was going to question it and nobody questioned it. Robert Stanfield, the premiers, you know, whether in Alberta, Peter Lougheed in British Columbia, Bill Bennett and, you know, on and on and on. Right. Everybody embraced it. What a great idea. Nobody speaks about it. And it is in our constitution. Mm -hmm. I, among the few people, spoke against it and wrote against it. And what happened? I was totally isolated, right. both in the university and in the media and so on. But the point is this. 50 years ago, what a great idea. 50 years later, it is no core identity. That means it was to destroy the Canadian culture. It was to destroy the Western culture. Yes. It was to destroy the British culture, the European culture. But you see, when we come back to this globalism, whatever you might think about the Chinese, to take an example, because we have talked a great deal about the Chinese way of life and all, but the Chinese are not coming to Canada to give you the China's Chinese way of life. Right. It is their way of life. And if their people don't like it, they got to change it. Same thing with Russia, same thing with India, same thing with Saudi Arabia. But we, what is our core value now? You ask anybody, what is your core value? Is it abortion? Is it man becomes a woman, transgenderism? What is the core value? And the fact of the matter is, there is no longer a core value that defines the Western civilization. The Pope doesn't define it. Well, the Anglican Church doesn't define it. And I, this is what has happened. But I think it's up to us, Salim. It's up to us to define what our core values are and, and 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 maybe inspire others to think about the question and what really is our core values is it western civilization values of freedom and liberty and sovereignty and justice and equality under the law and prosperity and truth are those our core values i think if you asked any canadian to sit down and think about it they're going to say yes unless they're communist or fascist or you know some other but here it is. I mean, you know, that is that is the first step, Mark. And you know, I mean, as again, we 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 have both been with PPC, uh, will you know, willingly, and we're engaged with it. And we talk about freedom. We talk about responsibility. We talk about uh, you know, uh, trust. We talk about all of those 
aspect that are the key pillars that we have laid down. But those are labels. We have to go behind that. Freedom to do what? In this pandemic period, this vaccine mandate, by the way, there was no law passed. It was all totalitarian action. The mm. parliament had no, no role in this. Mm. What happened? The freedom is ultimately freedom to believe, freedom to speak, freedom to go to church. Our pastors were arrested. Our churches were closed down, you know. Mm. And the rest of the population went along with it. Take, take the hard question. Yes, yes. this is our culture. Yes. Freedom. But freedom to do what? Mm. Is it freedom to engage in 24 by 7 pornography on our iPhone? Right. Because that's what is happening. Is it freedom that is our, our children don't know mathematics? They cannot do spelling? Mm. They don't know what is July the 4th for? What is July the 1st right. for? But they know everything about, you know, how many freedom. different ways that there can be gender? Right. Freedom to be a man and pregnant? That's exactly. So you see, you come back to it, and that is so the, the Ukraine war. Why, why is it that the rest of the world, except for Europe, that is members of the EU and NATO, which is basically under the thumb of the Americans, and of course, Canada, you know, Canada is always there. Apart from this slice of country and in this in far away in the south, in the southern Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, which are again totalitarian in their behavior and Anglosphere, you put these eighty percent of the world population rejected everything to do with the Ukraine war. Yes. You know, just take the the, the major BRIC countries, India, China, Russia, Brazil and South Africa, together they constitute in term of population almost half the world population. Right. And in terms of the GDP, in terms of purchasing power, they are now over 40% of the world economy. And it is going to grow with, with Saudi Arabia joining, Iran joining, Venezuela joining, all of these countries. Because what happened was, it was not a, simply a matter of economics, you know, because you take the case of climate change, yep. right from the beginning, from the Kyoto Accord, which was signed by Jean Chrétien, from the Kyoto Accord, the G7 countries and the G20 countries and at the United Nations, uh, they all came to an agreement mm. that these uh, requirements that they set out, net zero emission, you know, and, and so on and so forth, uh, build back better renewable energy, solar energy, all of this is going to be imposed upon the Western government. Right. Right. And, and none of this was discussed in the parliament. So when, when you, the clip that you showed of Stephen Harper, praising Klaus Schwab, the critical point in that thing that he said was, you provided the forum where people in politics and business could come together and create the policy which they would not be able to discuss in their own country. Now, who stopped us from discussing it in our own country? You, Mr. Harper, yes. you, Mr. Justin Trudeau, you, Mr. Mulroney, you, Mr. Chrétien. 
right? you, Mr. You, Mr. Polivair. I'm going to play this real quick, Salim. Mark, thanks for coming. Okay, we'll do a shot here. I have Come one on. question. Oh, yeah. I'd love for you to answer. Fire away. You denounced the world economy. Yes. Yes. You denounced the UN Sustainability Loan Agenda, the SDGs. I haven't read it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do a shot? Sure. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. I don't know. I haven't read it. I don't comment on it. Well, there you have it. You have these 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 leaders, or who who might end up being prime minister. They 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 go public and they say they haven't read it. Then why are you in this position? Right. But I mean, <laughs> it's a lie. Because he's actually voted on it numerous times, he's debated about it, but it's a it's an outright lie because he can't acknowledge that he knows what it is. Because if he does, then he has to denounce his party for signing on to it because it's so insane. But uh, so this person, he's probably going to be the next leader of the CPC. He's probably going to be the next prime minister if we can't, you know, get people to to start thinking critically and understanding who these people are. Um, but it, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> that video has gone 364,000 views on, on TikTok and another 60,000 on Twitter. So he's lied to, you know, over 400,000 people. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to matter. They still make excuses for him. Yeah. I mean, but, but it comes back to it that, you know, uh, the difference between what has happened in Sri Lanka and where we are in Canada is the difference where the people said enough is enough and we're going to storm the palace and right. they stormed the palace. Right. Well, this and is the path. This is the path they have us on. And, you know, Silverstacker mentioned it in the chat. It, you know, until Canadians are directly affected, they, they're going to stay in their bubble as long as they can, because they're still paying the mortgage, they're still paying the bills, getting Johnny and Susie off to hockey. Uh, but until their bubbles burst, um, you know, they're they're not going to take action. They're not going to be awakened to what's really happening. Uh, so until that happens, you know, people like us continue to do what we do as frustrated as, as we get doing it. That's, that's right. But we have to, again, connect the mechanics of how this is happening. I, as, 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 I, as I gave you the example of Justin Trudeau's going to India dressed up in Bollywood dress. He was pandering to the people over here. Right. And what is he pandering to? Again, this is the issue that the media will not discuss, the politicians will not discuss, and anybody who discusses it, like we tried to do in 2019, I'm talking about immigration, will be attacked as bigots. The thing is, the numbers speaks for themselves. It is not about bigotry. It is about cause and effect. Right. Now, our education system has basically eliminated cause and effects because if there is cause and effect, that you cannot talk about climate change. Right. You see, the sun is the source of our life. Yeah. Uh, carbon is the source of our life. What are, what, what are you talking about? If you, are, you ask these people, but in the 10 seconds in the media, during a political rally, a debate, you know, if you are not with climate change, then you're a climate denier. Right. 
Well, I'm a climate denier, and the public is going to then turn well, against me. The, the, the funny thing about climate change is the day that our climate on planet Earth doesn't change is the day we need to worry, right? That's when we need to be concerned. As it changes, as it always has, humanity is this neat little species on the planet that is able to adapt, they're able to adjust, they're able to invent, they're able to solve problems that Mother Nature throws in our face. And so we deal with it as we always have and we always will. But somewhere along the line, the science has been changed to propaganda and it's all about fear. It's fear trumps everything, including critical thought. And, and so let's just fill people with fear that if they don't do something, if they don't pay a carbon tax, then, you know, the, the earth's going to start on fire. Yeah. So, so, so cause and effect has been delinked, destroyed. So coming back to immigration, the cause and effect is that between two federal elections, in a normal circumstances, there is a gap of four to four and a half years. You know, we, we don't have, oh, we now have fixed elections, so it is four years. Mm. But on, on, so that's, that's the, the election cycle, the, the four year uh, federal election. Uh, but in this four years, what is happening in terms of immigration? What is happening is that at the annual numbers that is our government is open the door to, and it is opening it to higher and higher number, we have on average around about 300 to 350,000 at the present time coming in annually. Right. So in four years time, it is over 1.2 million people. Mm. So during the election of 2021, the population was whatever it is, X minus, 1.2 million people. In the election of 2025, four years from now, there is going to be X plus 1.25 million people. Now, it takes three years for somebody who arrives in Canada to become a Canadian citizen. So, the person arrives in 2019 will turn around and vote for Justin Trudeau in 2025. Why? Because thanks to Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party, I'm here. Right. You right. see? And paid, and paid to be here. And paid to be. And so what happens then is politically the cause and effect is Justin Trudeau can become a Bollywood actor and win Toronto which has 25 seats and Greater Toronto has right. 60 seats. That is all of the seats that is in Western Canada. And that is the new immigrants, right? So they work for him. So while Justin Trudeau, I'm just using Justin Trudeau, it can be Jean Chrétien, Stephen Harper, that is, the, that is the elite. They, every year, they're losing the trust and the support of the old stock Canadian. Right. But they're making it up with the new Canadian arriving. Right. That is a, a fact that we cannot argue in the public space or we mm. cannot discuss in the public space. And that's why 
We are losing. That's exactly what's happening in America. I mean, the southern border is completely open. In one year, since Biden uh, inauguration or installation, till now, something like two and a half million Amer uh, uh, people have walked into America. Well, this and there is no money. They have money. Nancy Pelosi has money. In she has already sent something like sixty billion dollars to Ukraine, but she doesn't have money. The Congress doesn't have money to to build up the wall and finish the wall. So you see, this is the destruction. When we come back to globalism, this is the destruction. The movement of people migration from the global south to the global north the purpose of migration is to destroy the culture of the north which has already been destroyed you know the depopulation depopulation has happened through abortion euthanasia is already happening you know at a fast pace and now it is the hyperinflation that we are faced with mm -hmm. that's going to grow we are talking about you know in america we are talking about eight nine percent the real inflationary figures are double digit it is in you know 15 percent or maybe higher but so so everything that you talk about there salim leads a lot of people in the west to consider separation as as, as ultimately as as a survival mechanism and and that's and that's you know generally where we're headed um because this this deep hole in eastern Canada that we call Toronto um, calls the shots and we're tired of having Toronto call the shots and so you know in, in some people's mind that's the last resort and and this is the where we have to go just to survive I'm not an openly separatist at this point because I believe it plays into the hands of the globalists but at some point something's got to break and survival has to come into play and into and into the discussion well um it, it, you know i i don't have a snappy answer because these are all historically issues uh, deep issues but the snappy answer would be that that will be one way to resolve the problem because the breaking apart uh if that happened would end the control and the whole the central canada has on the rest of the country which will right. allow uh, you know um the the western provinces and the maritime that those that particular newfoundland uh to to exercise their own decision making for their own benefit in a manner and make alliances that is exactly what the discussion is going on in america you see, um, the crash sometime uh, when it happens uh, has a is very painful, but out of it will come out new possibilities. You know, uh, because this has become unsustainable. Uh, what they have done, you know, in the last uh, half a century. I mean, take the American case. Uh, uh, the debt figure that total American debt figure is in excess of $30 trillion, you know, and rising. And, and, and they don't seem to care. They, that is, the, the ruling class doesn't care one bit. Canada is the same thing. Now they're saying that 
we are creating inflation by our demand, the people's demand. But for two and a half years, they spent money as if it was nobody's business. Right. I mean, in 20, 2019, our budget deficit, not debt, budget deficit was around $30 billion. Yeah. And in two years later, our budget deficit was close to $350 billion, 10 times. Right. You, I, Canadian people, we did not consume. But, but, but you see, the IMF instructed nation states like Canada to do exactly that. Precisely, precisely. And, and this is what they, they, they did in other countries, you know, that is the structural reform, but by raising, raising uh, through expenditure, uh, inflationary expenditure, they raised the cost of living, but they devalued the actual, you know, cost of the resources and, and industry, which then they bought and sold it to the oligarchs. Yes. And that was the story of Russia. Russia, including Ukraine, they, they became bottom feeder. Mm. The difference is that Putin has worked hard to restore Russia's own prestige, you know, which, of course, the globalist media and the globalist leader right. have painted Putin as another Hitler. Yes. The fact of the matter is just the opposite. Yeah. Nobody's buying that argument anymore. I mean, when uh, when uh, uh, the Western uh, media went around painting, for instance, Muammar Gaddafi as Hitler mm. and then killed him, you know, however bad Muammar Gaddafi was, he's not Hitler. Because if everybody is Hitler, then there is no Hitler. Right. And it, 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 it became ridiculous. But... On the question of culture, you know, rest the moral authority. Now you look at it. In our lifetime, in my lifetime, that is in Canada, almost 50 years, if anybody said, you know, you're connected with uh, uh, the Nazis, you are a fascist, that was the worst abuse, you know, that you are a Holocaust denier. That was a, you, you, you could be destroyed, you know, uh, for, for sharing any opinion that was uh, in any way uh, supportive of, yeah, of, of Germany under Hitler, of, 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 of Nazism, uh, or questioning Holocaust. Well, only three weeks ago, or less than three weeks ago, two weeks ago, the ambassador of Ukraine to Germany in Berlin, he in an open interview on a main German news media mm. was asked about Stephen Bandera and why had he gone to the grave of Stephen Bandera to honor him. Mm. And the ambassador of Ukraine sitting in Germany, in Berlin, said Stephen Bandera is our Robin Hood. Mm. We honor him. He's a great man. And anything that you say about Stephen Bandera is all lies. Mm. Now, the European press became very agitated about this, especially the Germany, because in Germany there's a law. If you speak in favor of Hitler or of Nazis, then you can be, you know, 
charged, indicted, right. and put away in prison. Right. But the interesting thing is that the globalist media in North America, in Britain, in Canada, were totally silent. No, not a single word from CBC, Globe and Mail, National Post, nobody. And same thing in ABC and in, in the American, there no discussion. Now, if Stephen Bandera and the Ukrainian Nazis are heroes, and of course our Deputy Prime Minister walks around and talks about how heroic Stephen Bandera was, her yeah. father was, and so on, then it is a logical issue. Is Nazism then all that bad? To ask if an honest question. And if Nazism is not all that bad, then what were we doing for the last 75, 80 years? Right. You know, what did we fight against? Right. What did we stand up for in defense of our freedom, right. our liberty? So the very leaders in the Western world, I mean, that's what exactly Boris Johnson was doing. But we've talked about this before in previous episodes, Salim, where we, after World War II, we saw this convergence of two ideologies, communism and fascism, in, 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 into this global uh, entity, right? So this is where we see on the ground this convergence, this you know, promotion of fascism and, and, and communism coming together and, and uniting to achieve global domination and global governance. This is, we're seeing it in real time. Correct, but, but again, we have to, I would say we have to be very critical to be able to analyze this situation. Look, this Ukraine war has exposed a lot of things. One of the thing is how great is the ignorance in North America of World War II. Every Russian family knows that somebody in their family died in the war against Germany. Right. Something like 27 million people died. 27 million people died in the four years of the German-Russian war. Right. In comparison, the war casualty of the US, forget about anybody else, the war was less than half a million. It was around about 450,000. Right. 450,000 American casualties in the war against Germany and Japan. Hmm. Whereas in, in the casualty figure of Russia or, or Soviet Union was 27 million. All right. So they fought to defeat Nazism. Hmm. Whether communism as a totalitarian idea and, and, and Nazism as a totalitarian idea converges is one thing. It's a totalitarian idea. But Nazism as a race-based theory mm. that the Slavic people are the untermenschen right. to, in, to, to, the, to the German Nazis, which is exactly what the Stephen Bandera people were in attacking you know, people in Ukraine and Poland. Mm. So 
the question then comes back to which is which is a question which has a universal concern about this because uh the 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 allied powers did not fight alone russia fought but the allied powers had the entire colonies fighting with them right india african you know uh, Australian, New Zealanders, and so on and so forth. They 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 fought, and after the war, they won their independence. You know, and now, what is happening is they turn around and they look. I read the Indian press, for instance, mm. and the people are saying, you know, how is it that that the Canadians, that the Americans are supporting Ukraine and Ukraine right. Nazis. Because this is the global, we, we are living in a globalist age in terms of globalization. We are living in an age of instant communication and so on and so forth. Okay. So, so the issues are not simply, I mean, the fight in Ukraine is between Zelensky and the Ukrainians against Russia. Yeah, but this whole this whole Ukraine thing is a means to an end. They're yes, using, of course. they're using the conflict yeah. to you know to promote the consequences of the conflict to to affect our way of life Absolutely. to affect our use of of you know resources and energy and all these other things that have gone sky high, uh, cost of living and all these other things related to of course Russia being. The, the the bad actor that invaded Ukraine, yeah. blah blah, you know. So I mean, it's all it's all a means to an end. It's all being used to promote. But what is the end? What is the end? End is is one borderless world run by yes. Who who's going to run it? So that is we coming back to the the, the transition of the United States over the last 75, 80 years into becoming a global empire. All of this leads back to the to, to the big money, to the bankers that supported this whole agenda, support the whole idea of globalism, support the whole idea behind it. And and I mean, you look at the sponsors and we this, this, this is dangerously close to going into another two hour discussion, but the bankers are responsible, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, you know, the Warburgs, the, the shifts, the different groups, uh, you know, that that have funded all of this and have sponsored all of this because of their need for control and, and dominance. And, and and this is where it all falls to. It, it all funnels into that. So 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 back back to yeah, absolutely. So it was the bankers not only today in, in this period that we're talking about from 1991, the end of the Cold War to now, the bankers were there financing the British North America in 1776. Right. And so what, what, what did the 5 or 6% of the people who became the patriots, you know, the Thomas Jefferson, the George Washington, that's John Adams, and, and those who supported them, everybody didn't support them, but those who supported them, they said enough is enough. No taxation without representation. 1776, yes. That's 1776. And, and, and that, then that was 1776. Uh, uh, 13 years later, 
1789, the French said the same thing to the bankers, mm. except that in America, the, George Washington did not capture British bankers and put them under the guillotine, but in France, they did that. Right. So the point is, yes, the bankers, but the bankers are, cannot do it by themselves. They have to be protected by the elite, by the armed forces. The yeah. question is, where are the patriots, our patriots? Yeah. You see, uh, and, 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 and that's, we, we don't want a violence. We want something that can be negotiated and done away with. You know, I would argue that, you, you know. Have, you need to have leverage. If you're going to have any fruitful negotiation, you need leverage. You need no, no. In the, 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 the negotiation is is among ourselves, among yes. Canadian people. If we were a sovereign people, you know, I would be putting on the table for consideration the argument and the policy that we take this entire debt that we owe to the bankers, whatever the amount is, $1.5 trillion, $2 trillion, that is the debt, we take this entire amount and carry it into our sovereign account. We're not going to pay the interest to the bankers. We're going to pay the interest to Canada. This is our money, you know, and, and, and we will develop our economy. We will we'll get rid of all of this globalist agenda. We'll get rid of all this nonsense of renewable. We, we, we will grow at 10% an annum. It is not impossible. We will, it is, in fact, very realizable. We'll grow at 10% an annum, 50. And as we grow, our uh, debt will shrink and we will pay back and we will be debt free. Yes. It is our debt and we will pay it back. It's just like when I buy a house or you buy a house, we squeeze ourselves. We don't want to be uh, a perpetual slave to the bankers. We squeeze right. ourselves and we pay the mortgage as fast as we can and we get out of it. Yeah, 100%. Right. We'll do this collectively. Salim, we're at two hours and six minutes. Sure. So I want for tonight, I want to shut her down. and But we have lots more we need to talk about. Yeah. And, uh, We'll do it we, uh, the, the, the final thing is, if people understand history, yes. people understand, therefore, the issues that have brought us to where we are, because we cannot arrive at this point without understanding the history that brought us here, then the solution is with us. We don't have to go yes. looking for the solution elsewhere. It's 100% the solution is in us. It has to be. There is nothing else. And this is why I said at the beginning of the show, the antidote to globalism is community, is local, is bringing people together. And, and it is national sovereignty. It's national sovereignty. Yes. I'm talking about yes. national sovereignty. Absolutely. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Another great night, Salim. Thank it's you. pleasure to be with you. And, and yeah, I've missed it the last few weeks, but um, we'll do it again next week. Thank you so much. All right, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. So another uh, solid round with Salim Mansour. Uh, for those of you who are um, sticking around, I'm, I'm going to shut her down here shortly. But I just want to let you know, um, we are turning, converting these into podcasts as well. So we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Podbean, which then spreads it out to their podcast communities 
uh, and we're also on uh, Spotify. So, uh, you know, if anyone wants to re-listen or, you know, listen to it while you're driving or while you're working or, or turn it up so your co-workers can hear the discussion too, uh, by all means, uh, tune in to our podcast, Forum for Canadian Sovereignty is where you can find us on the podcast. Uh, of course, these will all be uploaded to Facebook and to YouTube, and uh, it'll be sitting on Twitter. I assume it'll be sitting on Liberty as well as, uh, now DLive doesn't save them. They only save them for a couple of days. So, uh, But yeah, and it'll be uploaded to Rumble uh, as well as probably Odyssey. So uh, that's going to be a wrap. Hey, Diane, good to see you. Always worth worthy time listening to Salim's wise commentaries. Bang on. Yeah, he's a very smart individual. He's I refer to him as Canada's national treasure because he sure is. Good night, Nancy. Have a good have a good night. And uh, yeah, put this on at work and crank it up exactly. Exactly. Force your coworkers to listen to this. So get them out of their bubble. Anyways, guys, uh, it's been a slice. I'm going to shut her down and upload this to where I need to upload it, and uh, and that'll be a wrap. Uh, yeah. Stay tuned for flyers to come out in regards to the 23rd of this month. Uh, we're hoping to bring together uh, farmers throughout Saskatchewan and throughout all other provinces in support of the Netherlands, but also in support of our own industry, farming and ranching industries that uh, are going to come under attack here very soon. So um, stay tuned for that. Other than that, globalism bad, nationalism good. All right. Ciao for now.